turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The seven last plagues, according to the book of Revelation, will bring the end of the world. And there will come a day when the world as we know it is undone, and many people will go away when Jesus appears. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, make sure that you call us at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is there right now to take your prayer request and to pray with you. 888-244-HOPE. Today's message with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is entitled, When Earth is Undone. That's when earth is undone. We will bring you the first portion of this message here today. But remember, you can always go online to listen to any of these messages at any time at reachingyourheart.com. Here's Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Let's pray. Dear Father, it's these little things that test our faith at times, and we need to grow for the time of the end. We're just so grateful that we can be here and fellowship around the Word. We're grateful we have enough light to see, even if it's in perfect light today. We're grateful for Jesus, the light of the world, in his name. Amen. Margaret Atwood, in The Blind Assassin, once wrote this succinct statement. It's the end of the world every day for someone. Now, isn't that true? I mean, for someone out there, it is the end of the world today. You know, when we study the subject of eschatology, now eschatology is just a fancy word that means the study of last things. When we study the subject of eschatology, and that's what we're doing when we study the book of Revelation, we're really studying end-time events. Now, how many of you believe we're living in the time of the end? I mean, there's no missing it. We are living just before the return of Christ. And let's face it, the end of the world comes every day for someone. If you're in an auto accident this evening, the end of the world happens for you today. So, you know, we sometimes think, well, you know... End times are coming maybe 20, 30, 40 years from now, and I can do what I want to. It could be your end today, so we have to keep perspective. On the last day, if we think about the entire population of this planet, on the last day, a whole lot of someones are going to go away because the end of the world comes in a single day. The seven last plagues, according to the book of Revelation, will bring the end of the world. And there will come a day when the world as we know it is undone, and many people will go away when Jesus appears. Now, I don't want anyone to go away. I want every single person to be saved. Are you with me? I mean, what kind of God do we worship? When we interact with end-time events, we interact with prophecy, we have to ask the salient question, do we worship a God that cares about this planet, or do we worship a God who has a time clock, and when his time clock is up, he's going to call it quits no matter who's saved? Friends, we worship a God who is merciful. So when we consider the subject of the mark of the beast and the seal of God, which we're going to look at in part today, we often fail to recognize that God's timetable for the end is based on the patient principle of gospel mercy. God is in the business of saving people, not trying to bring them down. 
Human probation, we use that term, you know, the time is given to us before probation closes, before no one can decide again, before final decisions are made. Human probation for this race will not close arbitrarily at the time of the end. But that stuff's moving around in our culture, and it's based upon an absolute departure from foundational biblical principles that are meant to guide us as a people. The Bible does not put reapplication of time prophecies into play. There are substantial time prophecies, and when they run out, they're done. So God waits with patience until his mercy and his truth has done its work in the earth, and then the end comes because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation 7, 1 to 3. Here we have a very clear picture of how heavenly powers are keeping back chaos until God can bring mercy to the earth. Verse 1, after this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascend from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God upon their foreheads. Now, I like this verse. Heaven isn't saying, let them have it. Heaven is saying, hold back so more people can be saved. And so the attitude we see here is a God who's trying to bring as many people in as he possibly can. The Bible teaches that the earth as we know it will be undone. The earth, the sea, the trees, the fountains of waters. And what's holding it back? What's holding back final cataclysmic events that will bring the end? It's very clear from the context here. God is waiting until the seal of the living God can be placed upon the foreheads of his servants, of those that love him. And once that sealing process is complete, then the end will come. And so mercy is holding the four winds back. God's love is preventing chaos from overtaking the world. And there are some people who say, well, you know, the time of trouble is going to start because prophetic time reaches a certain point, you know. So-and-so visited here three and a half years ago, and after those three and a half years, it's going to happen no matter what. We do not worship a God who operates that way. Our God does not arbitrarily shut down human history so that some people who want headlines can get what they want and money can roll into their coffers. We don't worship a God like that. Time is set by a merciful deity who is interacting to save the world. Hallelujah to that. Now, according to Deuteronomy 4.13, God's covenant is God's law. And the seal of God that goes on the foreheads of God's people at the time of the end is in fact the sacred covenant seal. It's the covenant sign that is a seal that is found within God's holy law. And so the text is saying is there are servants of God out there, people who love the Lord, who follow the Lord, but who do not have that vital part of God's Ten Commandment law that is the covenant sign and seal. And God wants every believer to have it before Jesus returns. Turn to Deuteronomy 4.13. Now notice the text here. It says, And he declared to you his covenant... And then he tells us what it is, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them upon two tables of stone. So if I were to ask you today, what is God's covenant, what would be the answer based on that verse? What is God's covenant? It's the Ten Commandments. I mean, the Constitution, the covenant of the universe is the moral law of God. In the New Covenant, God writes his law where? You guys know. Does he write it on stone? He writes it on the human heart. Hebrews 8.10. This is the covenant 
that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws where? Into their minds and write them where? On their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. I mean, if we want to have a walk with God and we want to set aside the law of God in our personal experience with the Lord, we've got it wrong. See, God's purpose is to take that covenant, the charter of the universe, and to put it inside your heart and life to write it upon your forehead. So when the new covenant was ratified by the death of Jesus on the cross, now the ratification of a covenant is when you sign on the dotted line, when you make it functional. When Christ died on the cross, according to Hebrews 9, the blood of the covenant was shed, and thus the new covenant became functional. So when Jesus died as the ratification of the new covenant, God unleashed the power, the hidden power of the Holy Spirit into the apostolic age so that the Holy Spirit could take all that is God, could take the moral will of God, the mind of God that the Ten Commandments points to, and he could write the very nature of God upon our foreheads as believers and write it in our hearts so that we live for the right reasons. Now, how many of you want to be a legalist? Do you want to be a legalist? Any volunteers here? I do not want to be a legalist. Now, have you ever met a legalist who has a rule and they manipulate it and they say just the right thing and before you know it, you hate obeying because it's just awful? You ever had that happen to you? You know, when someone says, well, you better do this. If you don't, you're going to get burned or something. That's legalism. Or you do it so you can be saved. Friend, God wants the law of God written on our hearts for purposes that are pure and clean so that we can follow God and live for God with right attitudes and motives. So the new covenant brings the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit in my life. I want a new covenant experience every day of my life. And we need the raw power of God. Thus, the blood of Christ brings this. So in the Bible, God's law and God's name are the same thing. Now, how do we know that? Well, you can use some basic common sense here. You remember what God said at the burning bush? I am who I am. You remember that? I am who I am. And then he goes on to say, Yahweh, the Lord is my name. Thus I will be remembered throughout your generations. So I am who I am is kind of like A equals A. I am who I am. And yet when we come to the Ten Commandments, we see that I am who statement again. I am the Lord your God who, but this time it doesn't say I am. It says I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Who, he just continues, the Ten Commandments becomes the other side of I am. And so the moral law of God is the description of who the I am who God is. And so we worship a God who is moral, a covenant being. And so God's covenant is God. You cannot separate the person of God from the revelation of God in the Ten Commandments. In Revelation 14.1, the name of God and the name of the Lamb, which is God's name and God's law, is written on the forehead of God's people before Jesus returns. Now, the forehead is where we think. God's name, God's law goes on our forehead because God writes his law on our minds. And so we see that imagery here. Those that are saved, those who get the victory of the mark of the beast, because the mark of the beast goes in the forehead and the hand. Right where God's law was supposed to go in Deuteronomy 6, in your hand as frontlets between your eyes. And so in Revelation 14, 1, Then I looked, and lo, in Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name, and what does the text say? And his Father's name written where? Now that's where the seal of God goes. Now God's law, God's name is the same thing in Scripture. So the seal has to be a portion of God's law 
that the servants of God who have the principles of the law written on their heart do not yet understand. And so God is waiting for the Christian church to understand the entirety of the moral law of God at the time of the end. Friend, there are many Christians, I mean good Christians in the world today, who have God's law written on their hearts because they love God, because they look to Jesus as their Savior, and they honor the cross of Christ and the gospel of God. They have a new covenant experience, and this we affirm. But the book of Revelation teaches us that there are many Christians who are sincere servants of God at the time of the end, who do not have the seal of the living God. And thus the angel goes to seal his servants. That means they are serving God without a full knowledge of God's will in their life. They love God. They follow God. They recognize God. They know who Jesus is. And they are servants, yet they lack the knowledge of the seal of the living God. They lack that vital part of God's law that is important for them to go through the time of the end. Friend, the seal of God is, in fact, the sign of God's everlasting covenant. It is the sign of who he is as a God who loves us. It is not optional for Christians. Circumcision came hundreds of years after creation when God called Abram and he gave him the covenant of circumcision for his family. And it gives us a little clue. We learn in God's interaction with Abram that the sign of circumcision was in fact the seal of the covenant. Look at Romans 4.11. Paul is saying he, Abram, received circumcision as a sign or seal of the righteousness which he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Now this is one of those great verses you should underline a sign or a seal. So if I were to ask you, what is a seal? What would you say based on this verse? A seal is a sign. If I were to ask you, what is a sign? You would say a seal. So a sign seal. Circumcision, in that sense, served as the sign of the promise. It was the seal of the promise to Abram. And it goes on to say, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised and who thus have righteousness reckoned to them. Friend, circumcision is not the ultimate covenant in the Bible. You go back a little further, you go to Noah's covenant. When you go to creation, you have the creation covenant. And some people say, Pastor Mike, what is the creation covenant? According to the Bible, the creation covenant was the seventh-day Sabbath. The word seven in Hebrew comes from the verb shavah or shavah, and it means oath. It was the oath day, the covenant day. It was the day that God promised to the human race that he would bless them. In blessing the Sabbath day, he blessed the world. But the Sabbath is not the oldest covenant in the Bible. There is a covenant that precedes the seventh day, the creation covenant. And that covenant goes all the way back into eternity. The Bible calls in Hebrews the everlasting covenant. And so the Sabbath comes online in the creation of our world. But that covenant, of which the Ten Commandments is a description, that covenant is eternal. And friend, I will just posit to you today that the covenant from which the Ten Commandments is derived is God's name. I am who I am. You see, God is a covenant-keeping being. Before the law was ever understood, before it was ever spelled out so people could read it, there was a being who possessed all the attributes of the law of God, and that was God himself. And so the everlasting covenant is God's moral purpose and law that is found within the mind and the heart of our eternal God. 
Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. And so the everlasting covenant is God's moral purpose and law that is found within the mind and the heart of our eternal God. And that covenant created the world. That covenant gave us Jesus at the cross. So in the book of Genesis, as soon as you have the divine name Yahweh showing up in Genesis 2 verse 4 for the first time, which is the covenant name of God. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth in the day Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, the covenant God made the heavens and the earth. As soon as you have that, in Genesis 2, 1 to 3, you have the seventh day Sabbath, the creation sign. So in creation, the Sabbath serves as the sign of God's name. It is the evidence that he is our covenant God. It is the way we come to know him from the dawn of time. So the seal of God in Revelation 17 comes from the east, the text says. The east is the direction of the dawn of time. It goes back to the beginning. You look in Eden before the fall, and the seal of God is right there in the Garden of Eden. Friends, it is the seventh day Sabbath sign seal of the everlasting covenant. Some people say, well, Pastor Mike, why is the Sabbath so important? And I've, in fact, preached on the Sabbath before, and I've seen people walk out of the Sabbath. They say, well, the Sabbath is legalistic. Let me ask you a question. Is the cross of Christ legalistic? Yes or no? It's not. What did Jesus say as he was dying on the cross of Calvary for your sins and my sins? As he finished, he said, Father, forgive them, right? But then as he came to his last moment, what did he say? It is finished. Where was he going when he said that? He was going back to the dawn of time. He was going back to the seal of the living God. He was going back to creation when God finished his work on the seventh day and rested from all his work. As the Sabbath was approaching, as the great atonement for our sins had occurred, as the creator who was in Eden stretched out his arms on the cross of Calvary, He looked into the future, and as the sun was setting and it was done, he quoted the language of the seal of the living God, the language of the seventh day. It is finished. And thus the one who made us saved us. Thus the Sabbath is the sign and seal of salvation of the covenant, not just the creation of the world. Jesus said this in Mark 2, 27 and 28. He said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, Christ is not Lord of anything that's legalistic. Christ is Lord of something that is good for us in our lives. You cannot script it any other way. He is Lord of that which is important to us. In John 6, 27, Jesus had this to say about the seal of God. He said, Do not labor... For the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Salvation's a gift. For on him, what does the text say? 
God the Father has set his seal. You cannot separate the sign and seal within God's law from Jesus, the Son of Man, because God has given it to the Son of God. So the Sabbath belongs to Christ at the dawn of time. It is from the east. It is the covenant and sign and seal of the everlasting covenant of God's name, which is his moral law in his very nature and being. So what is this sign in real terms and the seal of God that is inside God's law? I've already said what it is, but let's look at it. Why do Christians need this sign and seal? Why is it so important to us in our lives? Turn to Ezekiel 20, verses 11 and 12. Now here God makes a categorical statement. I gave them my statutes, which means my law, and showed them my ordinances, by whose observance man shall live. God's law is not antithetical to our walk with Christ. God's law is an instrument of life for the believer. Now look at verse 12. Moreover, I gave them my what? What does the text say? I gave them my Sabbaths as a what? A sign. Now, we've already gone through in Romans 4.11. Circumcision, a later covenant, had a sign, and the sign was a what? Seal. Remember, circumcision was both a sign and a seal. So let's apply it here. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a what? Sign. But what is a sign? Seal. See, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign seal between me and them that they might know what? Now, here's the purpose, that I literally am the Lord who sanctifies them. The original language would read, you know, we don't know God unless we come to God on God's terms. The Sabbath was instituted at the dawn of time so the human race would never forget who God is. And more than that, it also teaches us the principle of righteousness by faith. Does anyone here know on what day Adam and Eve were created? Fifth, sixth, seventh, what day? Sixth day. The evidence is Adam was created before the animals, and then Eve came online. And so when the sixth day ran out, the first full day of life for Adam and Eve was what day? The seventh day. So they start their journey not in labor. They start their journey in a finished work. They were finished by God before they started. And friends, that's what justification by faith is about. We are finished by faith, by reliance on God, by resting on God before we start our Christian life. So the Sabbath becomes a sign and seal of the righteousness that comes by faith. We must rest in God to move forward, not try to achieve to move forward. We must rely on God for that which is done rather than insisting that it's not done. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I felt like my life was incomplete. Has anybody here joined that club recently? Have you? You felt like your life is incomplete? Well, here is the bottom line. The Sabbath teaches us that in Jesus, God has finished his work that makes us complete. Did you hear me? That we grow on the platform of acceptance that we move forward based on the victory of God that is complete for us. Christ didn't say at the cross, it is finished, but. He said, it is finished. And there was nothing more to say. The book of Hebrews, he set down at the right hand of God. So the Sabbath truth, as it is in Jesus, friend, according to the book of Revelation, will become the issue of life and death in the mark of the beast test at the end of time. Why? Because the Sabbath gets to the heart of the gospel question. Are we able to manipulate the law of God as human beings? Or do we accept it as it is, the charter of the universe? 
Are we able as human beings to rely on Jesus Christ for a finished rest? Or do we try to do that, to reinvent religion in our own terms? The mark of the beast test is a Sabbath test. And when the mark of the beast test is over, friend, God will have a people fully united in truth and spirit who have the entire law of God, including the seal, the Sabbath sign seal on their foreheads. And the Holy Spirit, through new covenant power, is going to write it there at the time of the end. God is not satisfied with partial obedience in your life. Imagine going down on your knees at night and praying a prayer like this. Dear Lord in heaven, help me to keep all nine of the Ten Commandments. Would that make any sense? Help me to keep eight of them. But I don't like the fourth, and I don't like the one that says, Thou shalt not kill. Would that make any sense to the God of the universe? If you pick and choose which commandment you can keep, what do you think a prayer like that would mean? Friend, Jesus said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, meaning your law. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. God's will is ten, not nine, on earth as it is in heaven. Well, unfortunately, we need to leave it there for the first portion of When Earth is Undone. Now, remember, you can always go to reachingyourheart.com on the Internet and listen to the entire message without interruption. And you can also find many other messages available there for you as well. That's reachingyourheart.com. Thank you so much for listening today. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's Last Altar Call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. The book is yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. Again, thank you for your support. 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. From everybody here at Reaching Hearts Ministries, we want you to know that we do pray that God is reaching your heart.